uh, the verses that I picked today is the thing I love the most is I get to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I love talking about Jesus. And even better than that is any time in the scriptures where Jesus talks about himself, come on, that's way cool. That's when you can really key in and find out who Jesus says he is and what Jesus says he does because that truly is gospel. So Luke chapter 4, we're just going to look into verses 16 through 21. Hopefully verses 16 through 21 will also be looking into us, right? And I'm calling this teaching, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? <laughs> Maybe you remember that song, that old song. Who was it? It was the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken... The Bee Gees are a great group. Classic songs. <laughs> but uh, the, they said that song, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? And guess what? With all the medical and all the health companies that we have, uh, it still can't be done. <laughs> and with all the health advances in medicine, it still cannot be done. There's no physician who can heal a broken heart, even with the very best education, even with the very best equipment. No physician can get to the very brokenness of any broken heart. Yet, there is a healer. There is one healer who can get there, and there is actually a way to get a brand new heart. Do you realize that in the scriptures, it never talks about the healing of a heart. Sometimes we talk about the healing of the heart, but the Bible doesn't do that at all. It doesn't want your heart healed. It wants to give you a new heart. So there's one that can do that. Now, broken hearts, as we know, come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? And when you experience a broken heart, as every day somebody will at one point or another, you know how real it is, right? I mean, a broken heart, there's nothing like it. You may be here today, and you may have brought in with you today, sitting with us today, a broken heart. Maybe from a loved one who's no longer with us, or from a lost romance. Perhaps it's broken on account of lost dreams, or maybe plans that have fallen through many times or of failures that are too difficult to face maybe that's where the broken heart has come from maybe you feel in some regards that life has let you down or someone has turned against you or you have children or parents that are hurting or an illness in the family Jeannie has spoken about uh, teaching the women about expectations right uh, expectations that are not realized or that are not realistic and the hurt that comes from unmet expectations but guess what you guys ready for some good news Whew, I don't want to get everybody depressed with what I was just sharing but uh, Jesus came catch this to heal the broken heart and in whatever shape or manner in whatever way or ways your heart may be broken or you feel like it was stepped on hey come on I've been there everybody knows that everybody knows what that's like then there's somebody that you can trust to turn your heart over to or you can turn that brokenness over to he already knows 
but we need to go to him and say, here it is, Lord. I'm going to be absolutely raw and open with you. Here is my hurting heart. Here's the brokenness that I feel. And Jesus is here to heal that. And I'm here to tell you that not only will Jesus heal your broken heart here, but he also will have that heart that's broken uh, healed throughout all eternity. In fact, uh, the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus, who knows this? Jesus will do what with our tears? That's right. He, he saves them in a bottle, but when we get there, it says he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. How beautiful is that? Thank you, Jesus. And some of us have a lot of tears uh, to get wiped away, don't we? And some of us, you know, the Lord's no longer using a little container to hold your tears. He's gone to the five-gallon size, you know. I know that's true for some of us. So today, Jesus brings us such good news because this world can take such a toll on the human heart. But Jesus himself is the answer to the broken heart. Jesus, in just a few words, just a very, he was very, he was very conservative with his words, wasn't he? I mean, when he spoke, they were powerful, but you don't have any three or four page sermons from Jesus. I wish we did, yes. <laughs> but he was very particular about the words that he chose. And in this case, with just very few words, he will tell us what his work is here on earth and in our lives. He will tell us what his mission is here on earth. And again, I love it when Jesus tells us about who he is and what he does. He picks to read a prophecy uh, from the Old Testament out of the book of Isaiah. A prophecy that was written six, no, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Um, and he speaks in such a gracious manner to us. He takes these words from the prophet Isaiah and he claims them as his own. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say something and maybe you joke and say, I resemble that remark. <laughs> well, Jesus here in kind of like that said, says, that's me. And it's beautiful when he does that. Do you know what the great theme of the Bible is? All of the Bible, all 66 books. The great theme of the Bible is Jesus and you and your salvation and mine. So all of the Bible is about one theme, getting you saved. That's what it's all about. It's the greatest love story that's ever been told. And by faith, you are included in God's love story. Yeah, absolutely. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how you've questioned, how big your faith is or how little your faith is. Whether you've walked with Jesus all your life or you're just thinking about it right now. It's a love story. And Jesus does everything he can to woo you into a fellowship with him. He's kind. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. Anybody here glad that God's slow to anger? My goodness, yes. <laughs> and he's full of mercy. Mercy, of course, is not getting what we deserve. And as I've recommended a number of times, please never pray, God, give me what I deserve. Amen? <laughs> Never do that. If you hear somebody else praying that, then quickly move away from them. <laughs> That's what I can tell you. So, uh, 
Jesus came in this great mercy, grace, and healing, and loving rescue of anybody with a broken heart, anybody who's lost, anybody who's moved away from him. And how he gave his life for us on that lonely hill called Calvary. He paid the dues and the penalty of my sin and of yours. He takes us out of darkness and he puts us into light. So the great theme of the Bible is our salvation. And it comes about gifted to us. It's a gift given strictly uh, by simple faith in Jesus as Savior. I know you've heard me say this before. That salvation only takes two things. Yeah, salvation takes two things. It takes a sinner. That's what we provide. And the second thing salvation needs is a Savior. And God provides Jesus as Savior. We put our faith in him. That's it. Jesus rescues us because there is by no means that we can rescue ourselves or save ourselves from our own sins. So please follow along now. I want you to really tune in, if you will. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16 to 21. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And when the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, he began to say to them, Truly, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> wow. Okay, let's get a little bit of background here. This takes place in the second year of Jesus' earthly ministry. And a lot of people refer to the second year of Jesus' earthly ministry of those three years as his year of popularity. Yeah, a lot of miracles, uh, you know. I mean, come on. <laughs> Wouldn't you want to see Jesus after raising the dead and multiplying the loaves and fishes and causing a storm to be quiet on the sea and you name it, casting out demons and just all manner of exciting miracles. So he was extremely popular at this point. Now, he goes to his hometown. His hometown is Nazareth. That's where he was brought up. And if you're curious about what Nazareth was like, it was just a little town that was kind of like a, a stopover town. I mean, you know, there was no Airbnbs there. It was just, uh, you know... <laughs> There was no great restaurant. They didn't have a McDonald's. Nothing. It was just a little nothing place. One preacher that I like, he said, it was just a whistle stop 
for soldiers on the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus didn't come out of this magnificent place. I mean, he really identified with us and identifies with us even now in every shape and manner. Now, these folks thought that they knew Jesus because they watched him grow up. They thought he, they knew who he was, but guess what? They didn't. And there's a lot of people today who think they know who Jesus is, but guess what? They don't. It's not until Jesus himself actually introduces himself to you and you put faith in who he is that you get to know who he is. You don't get to know Jesus because your parents know Jesus. You don't get to know Jesus because your friends go know Jesus. It has to be something personal between you and him. That's the only way it happens. As somebody has expressed it, uh, God has children, but he has no grandchildren. <laughs> you need to be a child of God directly. So, here's the scene. Uh, he was in the synagogue, and it was on a Sabbath day. We might call it a regular Sunday church service. That's where Jesus was. A regular Sunday church service for Jesus. And it says that was his custom. What's a custom? Something you do all the time. That's my custom. You want to know where I am on Sundays? I'm right here with the church family, with the word of God open, singing praises to God. It actually, church family, is to become part of our identity. That's who I am. I, I'm a member of Jesus' body. I, I meet with Jesus' body regularly. I have fellowship. I hear the word. I, You know, uh, yes, we can worship the Lord doing everything. Right, John? John shared that a couple of weeks ago. But come on. There's something special about gathering together with a bunch of other believers and singing praises to God. It can't be matched any other way other than that. And so this is Jesus' custom. It's, it's a look into Jesus' home life when he was a child. A lot of people want to know, what did Jesus do when he was a child? What was he like when he was a child? Well, I can tell you one thing that we absolutely know about Jesus as a child. One out of every seven days was spent at church. <laughs> That's Jesus. And guess what your custom ought to be? The same. And guess what the custom of your children ought to be? One out of every seven days, at least, they're at church with the church family. I, I really believe in my heart of hearts that that's Jesus' heart for you. That That's his plan for you. Not, not that you would, you know, feel like you're getting your arm twisted, you know, oh, I got to go to church or whatever. It's like I get to. I get to be with God and God's people and God's word. I love it. That's a huge credit to, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph. So throughout all his life, it was his routine to gather with other believers and to hear the word of God taught. That was his priority. The clear instruction from God's word is for us to gather together and not forsake the gathering together, right? We want to reference on that. It's Hebrews 10, 25. We're to get together and don't miss out on that. To continue to gather together with saints in the church, moving forward, all of us, to become more Christ-like. That's the goal. And so, parents, the development of our children should include that at least one out of seven days they're with the church family. I, I don't know 
I, I'm looking at it this way. Uh, when I was a kid, when some of us were kids, uh, there was a lot of trouble for us to get into, right? I mean, lots of trouble. We get, I, I see that. Even though you've got that uh, mask on, Matt, I can see that smile underneath it. <laughs> there was a lot of ways we could get into trouble. Guess what? There is a lot more ways for our kids to get into trouble today than ever before. And I don't know what kids do in the 21st century without proper, intentional, focused, you know, exposure to Jesus and his word. So, some folks have said, and I've heard it said, uh, I'm not going to go to church because, you know, the church is not perfect. <laughs> There's sinners at church. Did you know that? There's sinners at church. <laughs> There's hypocrites at church. I can't think of a better place for a sinner to be than at church. Or a hypocrite needs, you got any hypocrites, send them to church. That's where they need to be, you know. But some people say they're not going to go there. I remember one time I heard McGee. Y'all like McGee, don't you? My beloved. He said, uh, he said, uh, if you find the perfect church, don't join because you'll ruin the whole thing. <laughs> so there's no perfect churches. There's no perfect pastors. We all have feet of clay. We all desperately need Jesus. Amen. And so that's why we gather together. But think about think about this though uh you know jesus going to synagogue going to church every every weekend but what was the picture then it was a picture of the perfect sinless one worshiping god with a bunch of imperfect people <laughs> that seems the same today jesus is here with us right two or more gather in his name where is he He's right here. Jesus is here. Wow. Joining in with us, the perfect one in an imperfect place with imperfect people. You know what my favorite, uh, let's see if any of you remember this. What is my favorite title given to Jesus by his detractors? Anybody know what that is? What is it, Ginger? <laughs> they called Jesus derogatorily, by the way. They said, look at him. He's a friend of sinners. Guess what? I love that. <laughs> I qualify for that. I resemble that remark. I am grateful for that. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He doesn't turn us away. Verse 16, look at it again. So he comes to Nazareth, where he's been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Just like we had a scripture reader today, they did the same thing there. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he's looking for a specific verse at this time. Um, here's how they did it in the, in the synagogue. You want to know how the synagogue service goes? <laughs> they all get together. There's a prayer, opening prayer that takes place, just like we do here. And that's followed by a traditional Hebrew confession of faith known as the Shema. Anybody familiar with that? Let me read it to you. They say this every time Deuter from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. <laughs> isn't that a beautiful way to start a service, isn't it? Everybody repeats that together. Once that's repeated, then there's two readings. One from the book of Moses, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then there is a reading from one of the prophets. And then following the reading from one of the books of the prophets, there's one more reading where somebody gets up, reads, and then teaches the people. So it must have been familiar for them to, to let Jesus get up and teach there in the synagogue. And uh, so here in Luke 4... Jesus takes the opportunity to read from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 61 is where Jesus reads from, and he reads verses 1 and 2, or 1 and 2 and a half, as I'll point out in a moment. He purposely finds this place in the scriptures, and it's a very significant prophecy uh, regarding the coming of the Messiah. Everybody understood that, that they've been reading this now, for 700 years waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus reads the verse, then he hands the scroll. Oh, uh, if you're in a synagogue, what you'll notice is these big giant cylinders. If you've never been in a synagogue, there's these big giant cylinders and they're all against the back wall. Or they're in a big uh, cabinet that's opened up and there's all these cylinders. And then each one of these cylinders are called scrolls and they bring the scroll over and they there's a big table in front and they lay down the scroll and they roll the scroll out they weren't numbered chapter and verse can you imagine trying to find one verse out of the book of isaiah on a scroll with 66 chapters that we have today <laughs> and so jesus finds the place in the scroll that must have been a little bit of work to get towards the end of the scroll 61 and then he reads and then he rolls the scroll up, hands it to the attendant, the attendant takes it and puts it back, and now they're expecting a teaching from the one who read this scripture. Jesus sits down. Now, I have to explain something. When you're in a service here, and somebody's up front, and then they go and sit down, that means what? They're all done. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> I did my part. Now, that's not how it works in a synagogue. In a synagogue, what happens is everybody stands and the one who's teaching sits down. Now, how did that get turned around? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think, you know what I think one of the reasons for that is? Because it's very hard to fall asleep when you're standing up. Huh? That can be dangerous. <laughs> so Jesus sits down, and that means he's going to teach. And when Jesus spoke, they listened. I mean, if somebody can bring back somebody from the dead, you'd be curious about what they had to say, wouldn't you? Or somebody could heal somebody, or cast out demons, or multiply bread. They, it says, everybody's eyes were fixed on him. What is he going to say? This is exciting stuff. Plus, where he picks to read from is the place that talks about the Messiah and what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. And every Jew 
was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. In fact, the Jews, because they missed the first coming of Jesus, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come, many of them. Look at verse 20. Then he closed the book, scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, this means it's time for a sermon from Jesus who's sitting while everybody's standing. And this is the shortest. And it is the most impacting of Jesus' teaching. It all takes place in one sentence. Look at verse 21. This is the teaching of Jesus. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'll bet you that some of you are wishing that my sermons could be that brief. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> what is Jesus meaning when he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, this is about me, and this is about now. He is fully embracing this as this is me, and this is right now. I am the fulfillment of this scripture. It's noteworthy that Jesus stops mid-sentence in reading Isaiah 61.2. If anybody's looking at Isaiah 61.2, it continues by saying, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's the day of judgment. So why didn't Jesus finish that sentence? Because he couldn't then say this is fulfilled in your hearing today. So hang on to your hats for a second, because this tells me that the day of vengeance is what? It's coming. Hey, take a look at the world around you. Does it look like the stage is being set for the return of Jesus? More so than ever before. The Bible says that there will be earthquakes in diverse places. It means many different places. It, uh, the way that it's written, it, it speaks of, of uh, earthquakes growing in intensity and growing in frequency. Anybody have the earthquake app? That little thing goes off all the time now, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, I got my earthquake app uh, probably five, six years ago. Did you get yours a while back? Yeah. It wasn't like that then, was it? Right, right. Even just, even now I know that's kind of anecdotal, but I'm here to tell you that that thing goes off all the time now. In fact, I keep raising the amount of uh, magnitude that it will uh, notify me. So now I don't have anything, you know, below, a, I think, 5.5. Five. <laughs> because it was just notifying me to, and in different places, some places here in the United States, right, that either have never had an earthquake, or, is anybody getting scared here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't need to get scared. <laughs> These are exciting things that let us know that the Lord is coming. All right, but I'm not talking about just earthquakes, the earthquaking. I'm talking about cultural quakes yes i'm talking about monetary quakes i'm talking about the lord says in the book of revelation he's going to shake everything so that only those things which can remain will remain and everything that can be shaken will be shaken right down to its foundation i even think of this pandemic as a way for god to get our attention i don't think i've seen nearly as much 
repenting, yeah, repenting, as America should be doing right now. Not at all. Did you know God heals lands, right? But what precedes the healing of God over a land? Repentance. And you can repent, too. that's right, Ch changing your mind, changing your direction. U-turns are okay in our Christian faith, yes? Yeah. When it's time to make a U-turn, you make a U-turn. All right, I'm off, I'm off a little bit here. No extra charge for that sharing. Uh, Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So today, in the time zone that we're in with Jesus, so to speak, this is your love story. This is it. This is the time for you and Jesus to develop a closeness like never before. The days are evil. The time is short. Get right with God. That's what's going on in this time, in this love story with Jesus. It's my love story as well. But surely the day of judgment is on the horizon. We see a lot of things that tell us that. Well, what this is then is a clear pronouncement by Jesus of Jesus' ministry. And it's our good news for today. So Jesus mentions four groups or four persons or four types of things that he does in his earthly ministry. These are four things that are on Jesus' radar screen. In other words, Jesus sees these things and he moves towards them. To me, I love Jesus all the more every time I read these things. So drink them in with us. Jesus begins like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. <laughs> See, he wasn't just reciting words. He is laying claim to them. He owns this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And when he uses the word me, he means me himself personally. Now, when the prophet Isaiah put pen to paper centuries before this, the one speaking in this Isaiah passage is Christ Jesus then. These were Jesus' words that Isaiah was quoting 700 years ago. This again lets us know who Jesus is. He's God come in the flesh. He's God with us, just like the angel said he would be. These are his words to you, and these are his words to me today, right now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And here goes. To preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are pro oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That just makes me want to shout glory. Glory. Hallelujah. God is good. I look at that and I go, then Lord, apparently, you know my heart. And you know my needs. Because in a way, Jesus, in telling us what his ministry is, is actually reading the needs of the human heart in a fallen world. And it's up to us to acknowledge that. Lord, you know my heart. 
You know the condition of my heart. You know my need and my need is for you. This, my friends, is the love story of God towards us. This is the glorious theming of the Bible and the ministry of Jesus. This is surely, well, I'll call it a reverse the curse. That's what Jesus came to do, reverse the curse. Everything that was lost and gets lost, even now, through sin, Jesus comes to restore. Jesus here is saying, I'm here for you to correct the curse of sin and to bring you back to me, to mend in your life what sin has broken. This is God ministering to who? The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And you know what? I think a lot of people don't get healed from Jesus or don't get touched from Jesus because they're not willing to admit that they're poor, brokenhearted, captives, blind, and oppressed. A lot of people don't want to admit that. I'm here today and I tell you that I admit these things freely. Some people say Jesus is just a crutch to you. No, he's not. He's the entire hospital for me. <laughs> this is surely a reverse the curse. Lord Jesus, do these things here now in my life and in this place. Go ahead and ask him. Say, Lord Jesus, if you're real, if you're real, reveal yourself to me in this manner. As Jesus begins to speak, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This is Jesus filled to overflowing with the Spirit. He has the fullness of God dwelling in him bodily. Now let's take a look at these one at a time. He says to preach the gospel to the poor. Because sin and moving away from God impoverishes us. And here Jesus brings good news to the poor. To all who are poor in spirit broken and humble before him god gives grace to who and to the proud what does he do he resists the proud look life is hard enough right without resistance from god somebody say amen to that <laughs> so i think i'll be humble before god then and i'll get the grace and the help that i need when we see that we are poor then we will gladly receive the riches that is in jesus Next, it says to heal the brokenhearted. That's the one I like. I want to sing that to the Bee Gees. Sin and moving away from God leaves us vulnerable to brokenheartedness. <laughs> if that's a word. <laughs> and Jesus has good news for the brokenhearted. Y'all remember that, uh, the story of Humpty Dumpty? Sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> all the king's horses and all the king's men. That's right. <laughs> Isn't it funny how some things just stick in our minds? Doesn't matter how long ago we learned that. That's the broken heart. All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put a broken heart back together again except Jesus. And that's what he wants to do if we will allow him to do that. If we will invite him to do that work in our lives. Listen. Our own life story, your life story, my life story, 
even just hearing our own stories can break our own hearts, right? We all have enough sorrows to go around. We all have enough woulda, coulda, shoulda in our lives to fill a stadium worth. Hear me on this one from the one who, from one who knows. I can tell you my I can tell you my broken heart stories. But I don't think we have enough Kleenex here to to go around. But I'll tell you what. The Lord Jesus saw my brokenheartedness and he gave me that woman as my wife. <laughs> and he used her to heal my broken heart. So everybody go, ah. That's so sweet, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus is bigger. Jesus is always bigger. Jesus is bigger than all your wish I would have, all your if I only had, and the why me's from people and circumstances that have let us all down. Jesus is bigger than that. It says he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Maybe you didn't know this, but sin makes us captive. Sin takes us captive. Sin will always take you further than you thought you would go. It always keeps you longer than you thought you would keep you. And it holds you longer than you thought it would hold you. It enslaves us. It doesn't want to let us go. How many times have you heard somebody say, or perhaps you've thought this in your own heart, I know this is wrong. I know this is not good. It's not right. But then march right into it anyway. That's the captivity of sin. We need a power then, greater than ourselves, to be able to break us free from the captivity of sin. Jesus came to set us free. Let me give you another captivity. You ready for this one? This is a biggie. I think this one's huge. <laughs> Unforgiveness can hold us captive. Yeah. Uh, somebody said uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> and you're the one that's poisoned and that suffers from it. Uh, so can guilt is another thing that can take us captive. And Jesus wants to minister to the captives today, right now. We're living in a time where Jesus said, this is the acceptable day of the Lord. Acceptable in what regard? Acceptable in this regard that it doesn't matter what I've gone through or what I'm going through. I can go to Jesus and he'll accept me. He doesn't even put up an argument. Sometimes I'll put up the argument. <laughs> Jesus, are you sure you want me? Are you sure you'll still accept me? And he's like, yeah, come on. Look at the, the, you know, the prints in my palms and, you know, the nails, the, the spear in my side that tells you that I will by no means ever turn you away. It's the acceptable day of the Lord. Anybody here need to forgive somebody? Today's a great day to let yourself out of the self-imprisonment of unforgiveness. And then he says he wants to give sight to the blind. By the way, the miracle most often recorded in the scriptures of Jesus is him healing the blind. He liked to do that. But he also gives us a picture in healing the blind. 
And that picture that he gives us is the fact that we are blind to who he is. We're blind to our own need, oftentimes, of Jesus. We're blind to our own desperate need for him. I should be able to ask each one of us, and feel free to ask me, today, do you desperately need Jesus? The answer is always yes. There's two kinds of people in this world. Those who desperately need Jesus, and those who don't know that they desperately need Jesus. So he's giving sight to the blind. So what's our prayer? Our prayer is, open my eyes, Lord Jesus. By the way, Jesus is light, and Jesus is life. His light dispels our darkness. Then it says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Wow, catch this one. Sin oppresses us. It weighs us down. It rules over us. It opens doors, actually, for the enemy of our soul to come in and lie to us. Whereas Jesus is here to bring liberty to the oppressed. Now, in my mind, I picture somebody who's weighed down with chains. Who's that guy in the story that's weighed down with chains? Ichabod Crane? Or Scrooge. <laughs> that's right. You remember the guy that comes across? And, no, it's Jacob Marley. He comes across and he's dragging the chains. That's somebody who's oppressed by sin. And yes, friends, there is a devil who wants to take you down. But there's the Lord Jesus Christ who wants to set us free. Look at verse 19. I wish I could have heard Jesus say this. Because in my mind, I don't know how he said it, but how I want him to say it, <laughs> how I want him to say is, it's the acceptable year of the Lord. <laughs> I really wanted to blast it out, you know, so that we all get it, not let go of it. This then is the age that we are living in. This acceptable year of the Lord. Right now is the mercy of God. Right now is the grace and the peace of God. It's freely ours on account of Jesus. Right now, whomsoever will whensoever will, they can come and freely receive from Jesus Christ. Um, this is a term, uh, it's a Jewish uh, understanding. The acceptable year of the Lord. Is anybody familiar with the year of Jubilee? The Jews had this thing called the year of Jubilee, right? You know what happened in the year of Jubilee? All debts were forgiven. <laughs> So when Jesus kind of sneaks in this terminology, the acceptable year of the Lord, he's talking about a time when all debts are forgiven. I'll tell you, wouldn't you like to, to, to go to, wouldn't you like to write on the bill to the uh, credit card company? It's the, I'm, I'm proclaiming it the year of Jubilee. <laughs> By the way, if you have credit cards, pay them off. Thus saith the Paul. Because when you have a credit card, that means you're working for whoever you're indebted to. You're, don't do that. Set yourself free. Pay that thing off. All right. Forgiveness, guys, for our lives. And the love story begins all with a simple act of faith. Does it take big faith? Somebody say no. no. <laughs> what kind of faith does it take? 
tiny, tiny little mustard seed faith. I, I don't have a lot of faith, Lord Jesus, but I'm coming to you with the little bit of faith that I have. And you know what he'll say? It's enough. <laughs> really, Lord? It's enough. Oh, man, that gives me chills. Forgiveness comes by faith. Relationship with God comes by faith. It's looking to the cross where Jesus paid the full penalty of your sins. You don't know anything. Jesus paid it all. You've got a zero balance on your debt card with God because Jesus paid it all. And my sins, he bled and died for them. Your sins, he bled and died for them. He took our death on him so that he could freely give us eternal life. Trust what he has done for you. Call on him daily. Live with him, for he will live with you all the days of your life and on into eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the year of Jubilee that we're living in right now, where all debts are canceled. Thank you, Jesus, for canceling all our debts with you. Thank you, Lord God, that you know how to heal a broken heart. And Father, I lift up before you all and any hearts in this place that are broken, either by themselves or somebody else who broke their heart. I pray, Father, that you bring healing for their broken heart. I pray, Father, that the peace would be ours that passes all understanding. I pray, Father, that each and every one here and each and every one listening would make that request of you to be their Lord and to be their Savior and to ask by faith for forgiveness of sin. All you need to do is but say, Lord, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want a life that follows after you. I know that now. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I want to walk with you all the days of my life. I pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. And the whole church family says, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up.